We're in Luke chapter 11, just speedily going through, and we're going to be covering the last part of verse 2 today. So um, let, let me just read these first two verses for us here. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Let's open in prayer. Father, uh, we ask that you would let us know what you want us to learn from this scripture. We ask for you, Holy Spirit, to enter our hearts and our minds to define for us what this prayer means and that it can change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We're studying the Lord's Prayer. We're continuing our study. It's, it's going to be a few weeks of this. We're in week three of it, because uh, the first week we covered Father, and then last week we covered Hallowed Be Your Name, and here we are to Your Kingdom Come. We're just going to take it in chunks like this, because two years previous we just kind of did an overview of that entire prayer, and so now we're just going to break it down in a little bit more detail uh, these next few weeks. Now, something to notice about this prayer is that you notice that all of Jesus' focus to this point has been on God, right? So, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. It's really focused on God, and oftentimes we focus our prayers on ourselves or on other people, but not so much on God. We like to intercede for people, or we like to ask the Lord for blessings of us, so our needs, our wants, our desires which are sometimes good things. You know, some, some of our needs, desires, wants, those are good things. Some of them not so good, but some of them are. But you notice where Jesus' attention is in this prayer. And it's not that in, just in Jesus' prayers, but, but it's, just, it's really consistent in all aspects of his life, whether it be evangelism or discipleship, um, worship. His, his focus is primarily on God and not on himself. And so here we have this phrase, your kingdom come. The kingdom of God come. So the kingdom of God is quite different than earthly kingdom. And uh, if if you want to know more about that, that's also in our Sermon on the Mount series done over two years ago. It was several weeks of talking about the kingdom. So I'm just going to kind of glance over that part of it. But let's just suffice to say that it's vastly different than an earthly kingdom. God's kingdom to an earthly kingdom. And mainly because the rulers of those kingdoms are very different, and also the kingdoms themselves are very different, and that one changes all the time, and God and His kingdom never do. Psalms chapter 145, verse 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all His words and kind in all His works. So you look at the great empires of our history. The greatest empires to ever exist in our history, they've all fallen. All of them. Whether you go back to the Persian or the Roman or the Mongol or the Russian or the Ottoman or the British, all those powerful empires have fallen. It's not so with the kingdom of God. To to get more of an in-depth look into the kingdom of God, I think all we have to do is read over the Sermon on the Mount and And we would be able to see the power of the kingdom of God. If you did a word study of the kingdom of God, you would see how many times this was pulled up. And what what it encompasses, you would be amazed. 
Now, let's just take one example of this and look back to the Old Testament for an example of this. And it's in Daniel chapter 4, verses 29 through 37. Let me read that for us. At the end of the twelve months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power, as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth." And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. How many of us are like Nebuchadnezzar? And we think that our kingdom is really ours. And I confess that I was just like this uh, last week, and, and boasting about what I can do, right, and, and what I did. So just, just, you know, I was talking with a friend, and it was late at night, so maybe that's why I spoke. And I was talking to him about how in the early years I helped the church get established. And I was telling him all this stuff, and I'm not going to tell you all this stuff because I'm just kind of ashamed that I said all this stuff because it's embarrassing. But I was kind of boasting. And even though um, much of what we accomplished or I accomplished, that's true. I mean, I lost all my crowns, but anyway, it's... It's true, but let's not forget that God is sovereign and that He gives and He takes away as His will. That's His will, as He sees fit. Job knew this. Job knew this. In Job chapter 1, verse 21, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The sovereign rule of God does not change. It never changes. When we pray, your kingdom come. Lord, your kingdom come. We acknowledge his dominion over the kingdoms of men. We acknowledge that in that prayer, we are asking for those who do not know God to recognize his sovereignty. That they would recognize that God rules. For his rule is to be planted in the hearts and minds of those who do not know him to be their king yet. 
For those who are held captive by something else to be set free by coming under His rule, His sovereignty. And so when we pray, Your kingdom come. We're acknowledging His power to change people's lives, to transform their minds, to transform their hearts, for Him to touch people that don't know Him yet. We want His kingdom to come. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 tell us, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ makes it possible for us to be children of God by grace through faith. Now you look at someone like Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews in Jesus' day. And he inquired about this. And Nicodemus' story is in John chapter 3, verses 2 through 7. And it reads, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. To be born again as the child of a king. To be like a child in receiving the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18 verse 17, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. The self-reliant, the proud, the arrogant will not enter the kingdom of God. These kind of people make really, really good religious people. But the kingdom of God is not theirs to be had. So why do you think that there are so few Pharisees who became followers of Jesus? Aside from Nicodemus and Saul, who later became Paul, is there anyone else from that group that is recorded to have followed Jesus? Something to be said about religious people and arrogant people and people who think that they know everything about God. Yet the biblical record is so full of others, right? Non-religious. You look at tax collectors and prostitutes and, you know, little Zacchaeus as a little tax collector and and basically everyone else. Two Pharisees and the rest non-Pharisees. So, so if you find yourself to be a non-religious person, the odds are very good for you. They're really good for you. Jesus said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So let's not get caught up in physical kingdoms where we find ourselves kind of depending on and putting our security on political parties, on political systems. Right? It, it, those things are not the end all of our existence, whether you are a Democrat or a Republican, or whether you even believe in democracy. Right? I, I love our country. I do. I was going to go to a military academy right out of high school. I was wanting to serve my country. 
And I'm thankful for the freedoms that we have here. We just celebrated Independence Day. I got to tell my daughter about freedom because she was like, what is this celebration and fireworks and all this kind of stuff? And, and that, that we, we celebrate this stuff. We celebrate our freedom. And, but our security is in the kingdom of God. It's not in our government. It's not in political parties. A funny story about um, 4th of July. Sorry, I'm going off on a tangent. It just reminded me of something. Back in college, I had this friend from um, Kenya. And so he came. He's this world-class cross-country guy. And our our university recruited him, and he came to... uh, to, to train during the summertime. Well, during the summer, there's not a lot of people on campus, so he kind of had his own apartment, and they, they totally took care of this guy because he was, he, was, he was a great athlete. It's 4th of July, and this is down in Azusa where it's kind of like Oakland, like the sideshow there. You don't have to go to a fireworks show. You just have to go down the block, and you can see this stuff. So he's, he's hearing this, all this stuff, he tells me the next morning, he, come, he was like, did we get in a war? I was like, what are you talking about? I, I, I had to hide under my bed all night. I was like, I thought we were in a war. And I, all I heard was bombs going off and all this stuff. I was like, oh man, I'm sorry. Yes, we were in a war. No. Um, <laughs> our security is in the kingdom of God. It's not in political powers. It's not in political parties. When we pray, your kingdom come, let's, let's remember who our king is. Let's remember that the kingdom Jesus talks about is not the physical kingdoms that we're accustomed to, just looking out around us and thinking about powerful kingdoms that have existed in our history. Jesus told Pilate in John chapter 18, verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. In my kingdom, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. See, God is in control. And these physical kingdoms we find ourselves living in are just smaller pieces of this larger puzzle of God's kingdom. That's not to say that we don't engage our culture to influence it or that we don't get involved in our city or in our country and things that that we're, we're to get involved with. That's not to say that we're ignoring those things. But are we placing so much weight towards the physical kingdoms that we live in that constantly change? Or are we putting our faith in the kingdom of God that never changes? How much more weight do we give to the physical realm than do we do to the spiritual realm? And I would argue that it's a lot more. See, this is what Peter did in John chapter 18, verse 10. John chapter 18, verse 10, Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now, Peter got caught up in this physical fight because he wasn't in the spiritual fight. I don't know if you noticed this or not, because leading up to this confrontation, what do we find Jesus doing? Jesus was praying. What do we find Peter and his other ninjas doing? They're sleeping. They're sleeping, right? So Jesus' focus was always on the kingdom. So the way that Jesus fought was spiritual. It's not physical. And when we are caught up in the physical kingdoms, we can easily get caught up in fighting physically, in the physical world. See, this is not Jesus. What what made Jesus able not to fight physically and to stay focused on the spiritual fight 
was his prayer life. He stayed focused on the kingdom of God. You take a look at the Gospels and how Jesus constantly preached the good news of the kingdom of God. How was he able to do that? Through prayer. He consistently told people of the kingdom of God, pointing people to God, the king, right? He directed people to follow him so that they could be children of God, the king, and to be in his kingdom. The way that he was able to focus on that is he always retreated, if you remember, that he retreated to prayer. In choosing the 12 disciples, he retreated to prayer. Right? In, in these big kind of decisions, you can see that Jesus kind of valued prayer and that he, he really consistently thought about the kingdom of God. And he often talked about the kingdom of God, but he was able to do that because he was always in that mindset. He was always praying about this. In this very prayer, he's saying, your kingdom come. So when folks are so worried about things of the world, right, that when the cares, the anxieties, the stresses of the world, they're just overwhelming one's life, you have to wonder if there is faith in the reality of the kingdom of God for that person. You have to wonder that. Because if the kingdom of God is truly in a reality in one's life, then isn't the sovereignty of God a reality? So yes, we, we experience anxiety, we experience stress, we experience worry, but those aren't overwhelming to us. Those aren't surprising to us. Because why would they be overwhelming or surprising if God is sovereign and we know that ultimately He's in control? And so we have an account of how Peter failed in fighting in the flesh and not in the Spirit, but then you look forward to the book of Acts. And you're going to see how Peter succeeded. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, now before I go any further in talking about the difference in Peter, notice what they did together. With one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. And this must have just been a beautiful, beautiful time of prayer. And I don't have any doubt in my mind that they would have said the Lord's Prayer. That they would have said Luke chapter 11. Say, hey, remember when Jesus said to say this? And of course this included your kingdom come. And in that upper room, the kingdom, it came. Right? I, I believe that they prayed for God's kingdom to come because the, the Holy Spirit did indeed come. They were, they were able to speak with great boldness. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, we're told that 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom that day. And who did God use? Peter. See the difference between ninja Peter fighting in the flesh and spiritual Peter that was prayed up here and he's ready and 3,000 souls came out instead of him trying to take someone's life? It's a very different Peter from the Peter that cut Malchus's ear off to this guy who led 3,000 people to Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. 
For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So you see the difference between Peter in the flesh and Peter in the spirit. And I want this so badly for us. I want us as a church to operate in the spirit of God. Our Father, whose name is hallowed. For his kingdom to come. To see 3,000 people in Oakland in one day come to Jesus. That would be awesome. Instead of me chopping some guy's ear off with my preaching or something. I don't know. But that's not going to happen for you and for me. But only through the Holy Spirit. Who could use you or me to do it. But it's not going to be us. We are so busy here. We do so much ministry here. I can't even list it to you because I'm going to leave something out. Whether it's city politics or just neighborhood politics, we're involved. Whether it's school systems, whether it's our local school or OUSD, we're involved. We're involved in tons of stuff. We're involved in human trafficking. We're involved with refugees. We're involved with building our own community groups. We have like a triathlon Bible study like small group. I mean, that's crazy. I've never seen that at a church. We have all this kind of weird stuff. And we're serving all these different ways. And people who are, have different addictions. And we have uh, different groups here. We have an SA group that meets here. And we have all this stuff going on. We host Mission Year. We have interns that go all over working with at-risk youth. And all this stuff. And, I, and my wheels keep spinning. We serve the homeless. Like, there's so much stuff that we do. How much of it is absent of prayer? A lot. And we wonder why people get tired. And we wonder why, like, oh, no one wants to help out and we're just doing things out of our own th- our flesh and we're just busy getting stuff done. And, and, and we're just wondering about, like, oh, why is, why is it not growing? Why isn't God doing this or God doing that? Maybe because we've been doing it out of our flesh. And so, yeah, go ahead. If you guys want to do it out of your flesh, I don't think God's going to hold us back, but that's, that's all it's going to grow. We won't see 3,000 people come to the Lord in one day. We'll see whatever we can do. Right? So the absence of prayer is, is really detrimental to not only our church, but the kingdom of God. The reason why so many came to the Lord in Acts 2 was, why? Their prayers in Acts 1. Well, they all gathered up in that upper room and they all prayed together and with, with all the men and the women and, and Jesus' mom and his brothers. And all. There's no doubt that they prayed for God's kingdom to come. And one chapter later, bam! So as a church, let's, let's get more serious about prayer. Let's get more serious about prayer. It's not because I want to manipulate God into using us. And to say like, hey, look at what God did with us. Hey, that's cool. I want God to do whatever He wants with us. I'm cool with that. I really am. If if He doesn't grow us at all, but I know that we have been obedient to how He's guided us, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If He adds to our numbers 3,000 in one day, it's the same God. Praise the Lord. I want to do whatever He wants, but I want to do what He wants. 
And the only way we're going to get that is if we pray. If we ask. What I do know is that the 3,000 souls that were born again that day to that church, they weren't church transfers. Right? The growth was in the kingdom. The growth was in the kingdom. It wasn't in a particular church. If that happened to another church down the street, I'd be clapping. Yes! Thank you, Lord. When church planters come in, I love it. It's more people to do the work. There are some churches, though, that are reporting these great numbers in their growth. Oh, yeah, we're growing this, we're growing that. Unfortunately, it's not growth in the kingdom. It's just growth in the market share of existing Christians transferring from one church to another. So it's just cannibalizing neighborhood churches. It's kind of sad. It's really sad, right? In planting churches, it's, it's, it's all about the kingdom, right? It's not about individual churches. And I love supporting and encouraging church planters. I love it. I absolutely love it. I just met another church planter this past week who's going to be going to Berkeley next year. I am so excited for what God is doing in the East Bay. I've met so many people that want to plant a church in the East Bay. I... I'm, I'm excited about this stuff. I just want to find out what God's doing. And if God's going to be using us to, to grow the kingdom in, in a way that we're growing our church, or if we're just supposed to support other people, I'm cool with it, whatever God wants to do. But I get so bummed out when the growth of the church is just due to people transferring churches. And when people say like, oh yeah, our church is growing, our church is growing, our church is growing. Hey, weren't you part of my church before? Like, what, where'd you go? Where'd you go? Now, I know that there are, are legitimate reasons for people to change churches. I know that. Some of them are legitimate. Most of the ones I've heard are not. If I were really concerned about our church growth, I wouldn't be saying this. Would I? I would be like, hey, welcome in. We love you. Don't worry about it. Everything's good. But if you're here and you're new and you came from another church, I'd what I'd like to do is I'd just like to hear your story of how you came to Regent. I'm not going to judge you. I just want to hear your story. Because it's a lot different than if you just moved here and you're just kind of looking for a church. And so because you moved from, say, like the East Coast or something, then you're looking for a church. That's obviously legitimate. And we welcome you. But if you're here for another reason, I just want to hear your story. And I want to pray with you and find out where you're coming from. And it's not that you're not welcome here. You are welcome here. But it's more to, to talk through some things so that we can be in one accord in the kingdom. In the kingdom. And I'm not interested in growing a church that isn't including adding souls to the kingdom. I, I'm not interested in growing our church with church transfers. That, I'm not into that. I'd like for us to care through everyone that comes through our doors, but I want to see people born again. I want to see people who don't know Jesus know Jesus. And if people are just transferring churches, I'd like for us as a church to welcome them and to hear their stories and to pray with them and, and see where they're coming from. What I'd really like to see from us is to really get serious about prayer. And see what God does in our church and what, see what he does to people in their individual lives. That would be really exciting.
And I'd like to see our our midweek morning prayer grow so that we can't fit in that cafe anymore. That we can't just circle up in a cafe and that that we'd have to move because we don't have enough room there. It's pretty cool. We had an answer to prayer because I was praying for this back room, which we used to use as a prayer room, to move into the chapel so that we grew out of that room. This was just last week or two weeks ago. So, yeah, we grew out of that room and we were meeting in the chapel for pre-service prayer. That was awesome. What I would like to see is this is our pre-service prayer room. It's just part of our service. We pray before we start our official service time. That's what I'd like to see. And I think we can expect really, really great things from God. Revolutionary things in our community if we pray. If we pray His kingdom comes, I think it will happen. I think God will answer that. But being in His kingdom assumes some things on our part. It assumes that we are subject to a king. Right? Being in God's kingdom assumes that we are subject to Him. The question is, are we? Are we in submission to His reign? Are we committed to whatever His will is for us? People who God has used in incredible ways for His kingdom purposes, all of them were in submission to Him. Every single one. You look at any hero of the faith that you may have, whether it's in the Bible or just some biography you read, or all of them in submission to God. There's not one who is not. Otherwise, they wouldn't be a hero of the faith for you. All of them in submission to God. The ones who are not, not used. They're not used. Or things didn't turn out so well for them. And then we have some biblical accounts of people like that too. The presupposition in being in the kingdom of God is that we are subject to Him. All of us, right? Our will, our mind, our heart, our spirit. If Jesus is truly my king, is it evident that I'm his subject? Is there evidence that I am subject to my king Jesus? Or is it questionable? Or can somebody point at an evidence that you are not? Would it be obvious to others who my king is? We're praying, your kingdom come. Are we subject to his kingship? Now for some of us, we may be subject to him now. And I pray that it's all of us, but not all people want to be subject to the king. Not all people want to be subject to his kingship. And even though the kingdom of God is very much in the now, there are elements of not yet to the kingdom. There's a kingdom of God that is now, and there's a not yet aspect to the kingdom. Let me read to you Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So you see how we can be subject to the kingly rule of Jesus now, but there is a kingdom aspect of what we're going to experience that is not yet. It's a kingdom prepared for us from the foundation of the world, prepared for us before we were created, but we're not there yet. It's a kingdom that can't be shaken, which is so unlike any other kingdom that has ever existed. 
Right? All the other kingdoms that have existed have been shaken except for God's. It's written in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 through 29. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Father, your your kingdom come. See, God's kingdom is unshakable. Now, being an earthquake country, it can be a fearful thing when things shake, can't it? I mean, for those of you who have just moved here, welcome. But how many of you have really experienced a large earthquake? I mean, a big one. Right? And we haven't experienced a, a large one for a long time. Right? And, and so sometimes, if, if you haven't experienced a large one yet, sometimes you ride through them and you think they're cute. Like, oh, cool. I remember that as a kid. You know, when we were training, like, oh, go under, the, go, go under the table and hide and stuff. We experienced so many earthquakes growing up. Like, it was just like, oh, it's shaking, no big deal. Let's just keep watching TV. We didn't run under the table and go like this. It was just like, that was cool, huh? Yeah. Let's keep watching G.I. Joe. But do any of you guys remember the 1989 earthquake in the Bay Area? All the younger people weren't even born yet. They're just... I'm shaking my mom's belly. But <laughs> 63 people died in that earthquake. Thousands injured, thousands homeless. What about the earthquake that hit Japan this past March? 15,583 people killed. And the quake was followed by the tsunami with waves reaching 133 feet. That puts Mavericks to shame. It traveled inland over six miles. That's from the bay past the 13 freeway. That's practically all of Oakland. Gone. Thousands of people missing, several nuclear power plants severely damaged, tens of billions of dollars in damage. I have a good friend who's serving there. His name's Jeremiah, and some of you guys have heard him speak here. And I got the honor to be with him and several other pastors from Japan at a conference several weeks ago. And all these guys are serving in Sendai. And so he was sharing with me how grim things are there. That, you know, the media in the United States is just kind of forgotten. He, he comes here and he's looking at our news and he's like, nothing about Japan? Are you kidding me? And, and so he's, he was sharing with me how dire things are and that the Japanese nationals are just in wonder as to why he's still there and his, his family, his three children. Why are you keeping them here? You're an American. What are you doing here? And so the Japanese people have confessed to him or told him that 
you really love Japan. You really love Japan because you wouldn't be here if you didn't. And so, yes, Jeremiah loves Japan, but he wouldn't be there if God didn't love him and if God didn't love the Japanese people. See, the Japanese people are now more receptive to the gospel than they have been for a really long time. He's able to have conversations with them that weren't happening before. And even though through this shaking, God's kingdom will come. And, and, it, and God's kingdom cannot be shaken. See, when all the other things around us in our life can be shaken, whether it's our relationships, our marriages, our finances, our culture, our politics, our crime, our religion, our jobs, our housing, all that stuff can be shaken. God's kingdom cannot be shaken. See the security that we have in Jesus? That we are heirs to his kingdom, this kingdom that is unshakable? And when the world may look at us as followers of Jesus and just look at us and say, like, that's insignificant. That's an archaic way to think. Or that we're looked upon as irrelevant in the progression of humanity. When other people are looking at politics and science and technology and other things to advance uh, the human race, all those things are shakable. We as Christians look to Jesus and his kingdom which cannot be shaken and we pray, your kingdom come. And out of all things that can be debatable about the end times, what we Christians deem as eschatology or term as eschatology, I don't think a Christian can debate the return of Jesus. We, we can debate a lot of other things, but the, the return itself, right? That his return will happen, and it will happen in a personal way. And so if you don't believe in his return, then I don't think you can call yourself a Christian, because he's returning, and he's not going to be sending some angel on his behalf on this one. He's returning. And it's going to be this visible, physical return. It's going to happen, and no one knows about it except for some Bay Area people who think it's in October. But, but we don't know when it's going to happen. But when it happens, it's going to be awesome. I actually hope that the guy's right that it's October. I can't wait. That'd be cool with me. I was kind of bummed that it didn't happen this last spring. It's like, oh man. But, but we're going to be escorted into his kingdom, right? That, that, that's, there's this not yet aspect of it that becomes now. The not yet of the kingdom is going to become now. But you know what? Let's not wait for our lives to be transformed then. Let's do that now. Let's be in prayer now. For that kingdom that is not yet. Because it's ready for us. It's just that we're not there yet. But we need to be ready. We need to be ready for the kingdom of God to come. To ask God for forgiveness from our sins. To live our lives subject to the king. Let's pray. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Amen.